Welcome to Talos Takes, the security podcast for everyone from the C-suite to the front lines. Hello, everyone. My name is Tizine Khan, and welcome to this live stream broadcast brought to you by Cisco Secure and Talos. On any normal Monday, I'd ask how everyone spent their weekend to learn about their methods of relaxation, but I'm not sure um, that's the case for everyone today. Um, As you all may be aware, on Thursday, December 9th, a zero-day exploit in the popular Java logging library, Log4j, was tweeted along with a proof of concept posted on GitHub that targeted any applications running vulnerable Log4j code. Today on this live stream, we'll be breaking down the impact of this vulnerability, discussing why this is urgent, and insight into what we expect to see throughout the life cycle of this exploit. I'm joined today by my incredibly brilliant Talos colleagues, Matt Olney, Director of Threat Intelligence and Interdiction, Amy Henderson, Head of Strategic Communications, and Vitor Ventura, Senior Threat Researcher. So. Let's jump right in. Amy, as our strategic comms, um, can you share a little bit about this vulnerability and give us the lay of the land? Yeah, thanks, Taz. So late last week, Apache disclosed the vulnerability in the Log4j library. This library is used widely across many software platforms. So it is a big deal for um, all of us in the threat hunting and threat research industry. Since the disclosure and the the patch release, we have seen the POCs released quickly. Uh, Threat actors are scanning for the vulnerability. Uh, We've seen escalations on exploitation attempts since Friday, including the Mirai botnet. Um, And we expect this vulnerability to be long lasting, specifically because the threat surface uh, for this is so large. Uh, Vitor, I'm gonna pass it off to you. You can give more details on why this is such a high priority for us. Thank, thank you, Amy. Thank you, Amy. Uh, so this vulnerability is it exists in, in a logging library, which will be deployed in several different applications, right? So this represents a, a big issue because it will be in the, on the underlying of the applications, and it may may not be detected at on at first glance. So the vulnerability in itself, and that without getting into much technical details, it exists because it allows a developers to put any kind of information inside the log lines. But this can be also code. So what what this means is that an attacker can actually send uh, a request for this piece of code to be downloaded from its own server, allowing them to run uh, malicious code on the victim's device. So hence, this is a really, really uh, high high risk vulnerability because of, of, of what it allows the attacker to do. Matt, do you have anything to add? Yeah, this is going to be super challenging for our customers to to remediate and look at. Um, what we have is a single vulnerability that exists in a key library that is used by vendors and developers all over the world. So companies are going to have to worry about their own in-house develop applications and patch aggressively there. But they're also going to have to be working with vendors uh, across the board to determine, one, if the library is present, and two, if that library is in an exploitable condition. Uh, it's been pretty fascinating watching the telemetry coming in um, on the attacker side, where we're starting to see attackers put in these triggering conditions into all different points in emails, in web requests, trying to find something out there that, that will succumb to that exploit. 
Uh, I think we're going to be seeing like the echoes of this for a number of months to come as this shakes itself out. Yeah, um, it sounds like this has definitely been escalating throughout the weekend into today. Um, now, are, are you able to share how many attack vectors are possible here that people should be aware of? Yeah, I don't think we're going to be able to actually definitively say that. And I think that's one of the reasons why vendors across the board are being very careful as they analyze their own in-house products and their own um, uh, purchased uh, services, because you have to you have to go through every line of code to understand how it's used and and it's difficult to express how widespread this is but by, by way of example one of the earliest ways that this was seen was actually in the minecraft game which is based on java uses those logging characteristics so it's is something as esoteric as that um but also key to a number of very high profile cloud services and um and in user products yeah, I think one thing to add here is uh, vulnerabilities are not new, right? But, but we have to prioritize how we approach them. And what Matt said, this is very wide reaching, right? The the Kenna risk score for this vulnerability is actually a 93. And that puts less than 1% of their entire library of, uh, I think it's 165,000 plus vulnerabilities that they've scored as higher than this. So if you think about, you know, a, a large scale of vulnerabilities we're dealing with, this one is at the very, very top um, of, of the risk score. Yeah, one, one thing I think it's also important to mention, as I was explaining a little bit the vulnerability, I was saying that the attackers will download the payload, but it's also important for, for everyone defending understand, to understand that the attackers can even exfiltrate information without ever reaching their own server through DNS. And that's an important point that all the defenders must be aware so that they can look also on that possible vector of, of exfiltration of information. We have actually seen that in, in the wild right now, so it's important to mention it. Wow. Um, do you all uh, expect to see, or actually, what do you expect to see over the holidays and into the new year? So this vulnerability is even scarier, given the fact that folks are looking forward to going into holiday. What do you think um, the life of a security professional might look like going into Christmas? Well, a lot like this past weekend, probably. Uh, Vitor, Vitor and I were just chat, chatting about this, actually, on the side. Um, We've seen this evolution occur multiple times in terms of how um, how actors adopt uh, rapidly emerging vulnerabilities. And so for whatever reason, and I can't tell you exactly why it invariably looks like this over the past few years, um, there will be a few incidents that we see behind Thursday. So going back, I think the earliest that we that we have seen is December 2nd, reported is December 1st. There will be a few smatterings of incidents where early early adopters had that. And then what what has happened is you'll get the coin miners are very quick to adopt. And we immediately saw that in our honeypots uh, light up with coin mining um, uh, stuff. Uh, then very close behind them will be botnets like Mirai um, adopting them. And then what we're going to see over the coming months is actors with different pace who have different objectives, whether it's finance or espionage, adopting this vulnerability for their ends. Uh, and they typically um, are a little more concerned about being quiet, so they may take longer to test 
in-house, but we will see them rolling out. So even though there, we've seen um, CMAXers adopt this now, we certainly are going to see very dangerous attackers using this over the coming months. So our customers and people around the internet continue to be in a race against those level of actors uh, in terms of getting patching or other remediation in place ahead. Vitor, do you have any input? Well, on this, what I would say is that uh, as defenders go along and patch racing and patch all the internet exposed systems, we should never leave behind the lateral movement vector, which may, because, well, people will prioritize their patching and will patch first what's, whatever is exposed to the internet. But in internal patching may lag behind. But that can, this can still be used as a lateral movement uh, vector. So that people and all organizations must be aware of that and keep in mind that patching and mitigating internal systems is as uh, fundamental as patching the ones that, that, that are exposed to the internet, of course, with a different uh, priority based on the risk uh, assessment that we've done previously. Unfortunately, I don't think this uh, winter break will be any different than previous years for all of us here. We're used to this this pace and, and this vulnerability, I think, was on everybody's mind uh, going into the, the holidays in terms of what's going to come up. And, and this this came up. I think there is a there is a piece of telemetry that we saw that I think kind of illustrates some of the problems that we're going to be seeing and why why I think we're going to be seeing this over a few months. Um, some of our partners who are doing um, aggressive scanning out on the internet are reporting that they will they will deliver their scan and then won't get the results of that scan or won't get that connect back from that scan um, until much later um, in, in internet terms, so minutes to hours later. And what that means is they delivered what would be an attack, but it wasn't processed until it got into internal systems that were handling the logs checking the logs for various things. So there are there are aspects of this that aren't just internet-facing systems, but also back-end log processing systems that are often frequently um, hand-built by defenders as they as they customize how they're looking for things um, that are going to be showing up for, for months coming forward. Um, that goes right into my next question, and perhaps you all can expand a little bit, but what are these long-term potential consequences of this exploit um, that we can anticipate or expect? Vitor? Um, well, one thing that we, we haven't seen in a while, but we need to be uh, aware that may happen, is the development of, of a worm based on, the, on this exploit because it's extremely, it's, it's an exploit easy to write and it, it's easily wormable. And if, if that is, is, is something that will happen, that will, that will lead to mass exploitation, exploitation. there will be a lot of, uh, of consequences around that. And that's, that's not based just on, on, on the vulnerability itself, but if we look at, at past events where this kind of vulnerability was, was uh, disclosed, these kind of things have happened. So that's something that we might be must be aware of for for the coming for the coming future. Amy, I don't think anything to add. Um, what Matt and you said, right? We're seeing a uh, escalations of exploitations of this vulnerability. We're going to see higher level threat actors looking at this, folks that are uh, willing to wait 
uh, take their time testing. Um, and we're going to see that happen over the next few months, right? This isn't uh, a vulnerability that we're all going to patch and it'll, it'll go away. Um, there's a lot of different uh, ways that this vulnerability is being exploited. The threat surface is very large. Um, so that's why we continue to post new coverage as we uncover uh, different ways that it's being exploited. We continue to update our rules uh, and it's going to be a, a continuous process for us as we see what uh, is coming out of our telemetry. Yeah, that, that size of threat landscape is kind of really the defining feature of this. So um, we, we're here because everybody's affected. Like every organization out there is going to have some exposure to this most likely. Um, very few will escape. Um, but the fundamentals of security practices are still in play here. There's nothing um, technological about this development that changes the game in that way. So all of your internal process reviews, all of your lateral movement monitoring, all of your threat hunting, um, all of your exfiltration protections, all of your post-exploitation mitigation, all of your segmentation, all that is still valuable and in play. Um, you're just, because this is happening so quickly and because it's so broad, is you're highly suspect that you're going to be in a situation where you're defending on those secondary defense mechanisms as opposed to blocking the attack outright. And that's kind of where we are uh, right now. We're missing kind of that front layer of protection uh, from this attack. Yeah, that is, um, thank you for sharing that and especially taking us back to the fundamentals, right? That's always important to know that we as an industry know that that is there to help us through any of these types of attacks. Um, there are a lot of people that are still coming in and I just want to reset the room a little bit. Um, we are here joined by my amazing colleagues at Talos and we've walked through, um, you know, the lay of the land of this vulnerability and we've talked a little bit about its impact and I think um, it would be helpful to walk through the what do we do now <laughs> to help folks in the audience kind of get through this mitigation process. Um, but to take it back a step, do you all mind sharing how folks can understand or know if they are vulnerable? And then we can go into talking about how they can protect themselves, etc. Victoria, you had some good analysis on that in our earlier <laughs> yeah. discussion. So, um, first of all, folks need to assess their, their environment. They need to understand if they have the vulnerability, if they, have, if they are using that, that, that library, where it's being used, what's the exposure that they have. It, it's, this is the, the perfect uh, vulnerability to actually use a risk-based approach because there, there are so many possible um, systems that are, that are vulnerable that you need to take a risk-based approach, approach so that you can actually prioritize what you need to, to, assert, to, to patch and to mitigate first. So that would be the, the, first, the, first, uh, the, the, the first thing to do is to assess your environment and know exactly what, what, you, what you have to do so that you can then distribute your forces around and, 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 and do the, the patching and the mitigations. Yeah, the, this is one of the situations where, you know, for all that we're a product company, um, I believe that, that the people that you, that you have to help you uh, build your defenses are critical. And this is where that creativity comes into play and kind of adopting what is seen on the intelligence landscape. You're going to be in a situation most likely where, where you have vendors who are delaying patches or, 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 um, or you're uncertain about its condition. 
And you need to be in a position where you can start um, isolating and, and putting in additional layers of protections and working with your defenders to, to understand what the risk is and how you mitigate that risk is key. And so having those traditional security foundations in place gives you those levers and mechanisms necessary to respond to this. This really is going to be a challenging period where where you have to depend on your internal developers to appropriately assess their usage of this library to ensure that it is uh, it is safe. And I and my I, my guidance there would be, I have seen in my career in security developers fail at this task. So if there's a way just to go ahead and patch and not say we use it safely, that is the safer path um, from that perspective. Uh, and then you're also going to have to be working with vendors directly. Um, and so as those vendors, uh, you know, and, and they're all, all, all large vendors right now are kind of going through the process of evaluating their code base and trying to figure out what to say to you about what's going on and being very careful and diligent on, on evaluating how they're using those libraries. And so as you go through, you need to adopt, okay, I have this piece. How do I protect myself with this piece in place? And every one of those risk decisions are going to have to be based on your environment and what protections you have in place. I think to add on to that, uh, what makes this even trickier as well is this library is used, again, not only by your own internal developers, but across many software platforms. So you also have to take a look at your third party uh, platforms that are in your environment, your partners that are in your environment. Um, everyone is aware of this vulnerability right now, but talk to talk to your partners, right? Talk to your vendors. Uh, see what they're doing, make sure they're patching. Um, if they're not, because they think they're not vulnerable, make sure you understand that. So I think that assessing your environment, um, but also that includes all the third parties that uh, that have access to your environment as well. There's been a lot of discussion recently um, in policy circles about the software bill of materials um, and where it would be useful. This is this is your example. Um, if, if every one of your, your devices came with a list of all the libraries that they used, it would make it easier for you to make these risk-based decisions. So as we move forward in the security world and we're looking at adopting software bill of materials, this is the kind of thing we're talking about where understanding risk can only happen when you're informed about what your exposure is, and that's where these things come into play. That makes me feel a lot better about the hours I have put in developing a list of bill of material. So I'm glad that this hopefully can <laughs> help folks out there. Um, so I know we talked about the third party vendor landscape a little bit, but can folks assume that they're protected from their security products or is that a false assumption to make right now? Don't, didn't quite understand the question. Are you saying, are they protected from vulnerabilities in their security products? Yes. Oh, no, never assume that, right? So always like like everything that, that you have that's a general computing piece of infrastructure, you, you have to treat as a potential risk. Like that's the right way to approach it. So whether it's, whether it's you know, your word processing software or your antivirus software or, or your, your accounting software, uh, whatever it is, you have to account for its safety. So, so certainly you need to, to be engaged with your vendors to be like, are these, are these safe? Are they patched? Do I need to do something? Is there mitigations in place that I need to take uh, to protect myself for everything in your environment? There is, there is literally no part of your environment where I can't think of potentially having a Java-based device would be something that you could see. So, so yeah, look, look uh, like work aggressively with your, with your vendors to, to kind of get to that point. 
Go ahead, Vitor. <laughs> Sorry. I was just going to say, this brings us back also to, the, to some of the basics. So thing, things like um, not all servers, not all systems need to reach the internet. And this goes back to my initial explanation of the vulnerability. The attackers will need to download some kind of payload. So we network segmentation would, I, I cannot say that it would block 100%, but it would mitigate the damage that an attacker can do with vulnerability. And this is something that is go, go back to the basics, like Matt was saying, that we need to put segmentation around the vendors and our own, our, our own internal development as needed. And that, that, that is a really, a really important point also to keep in mind. Yeah, blocking, so, blocking outbound LDAP queries, like, like, for example, right now, if you could do that, not a bad idea. Does it protect you 100%? No. Does it protect you about 99.9% .9 of what we're seeing currently in telemetry? Yes. So if you have questions in your enterprise, looking at that kind of aggressive remediation, uh, just to buy yourself time to conduct the kind of analysis that you need to do, that's what you need to do. Ultimately, you're looking, you, you have to complete some amount of work to protect yourself from these attackers. Buying yourself time to complete that work and not just decimate your people trying to get it done is an excellent approach. I think part of what we do here at Talos, not part of, but the main role of what we do here at Talos, right, is build those protections into our product. So I think that's a different um, way to approach this question. So uh, Matt and Vitor, you guys are the experts here. How are, like, I'm, I'm pushing this off to you guys, but we've built uh, several new rules, right, that go into our different Cisco Secure product line. Um, how have we looked at those? How has our telemetry led us to to build those rules? What are we seeing and how do we approach it? I think you started to get there, Matt. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, there's, without getting into the, without wandering into too nitty gritty of the details, um, I think the way to explain it is there's a very straightforward and, and simple way to execute this attack. Um, and so right out the gate, we rolled out those protections. But immediately, the analysts were like, there's about 100 ways to obfuscate and kind of make this attack look different than it normally does. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of where we were focused on the inbound side, on, on the NGFW side. So looking at kind of providing a network-based detection uh, for customers is the first piece uh, that, that, that that team did. So we first, we put out that very simple approach, and then we started iterating. How would we change this attack to get by these defenses? And there, we have rolled out consistent updates over the weekend, and I believe we are continuing to roll out uh, defenses or additional changes today um, as we identify uh, both either internally or through telemetry different ways to obfuscate those attacks. Additionally, what we're doing is looking both in terms of what we see in telemetry back from NGFW, but also in Umbrella and Honeypots and other intelligence sources that we have, um, shares from intelligence partners, um, externally observed from open source intelligence, uh, identified pieces are of, of infrastructure that the attackers are using. So IP addresses, host names, hashes, et cetera. And all of those protections will be driven into Umbrella and uh, Secure Endpoint and, and all the other Cisco products. So if there's a Cisco product that can analyze a URL or look at a domain or look at an IP, that product now knows, okay, all of this is part of the, the attack that we're seeing on log4j, all of it gets blocked, even though this product may not be aware of what log4j is at all. So putting in all those different pieces and driving the intelligence into the products is kind of what we're focusing on right now. 
we also added, sorry, j just one more thing. We also added to our blog post uh, some domains which may not be malicious, but are being abused by the attackers to leverage their attacks. So people might want to look into for those domains in their logs that might so be an indicator of possible exploitation. I think the big key here, again, we've said it multiple times, is the threat surface for this vulnerability is very large. And we're going to continue to see different ways that it gets exploited. And that's why Matt talks about our approach of, of what are we seeing in our telemetry? How is this being obfuscated? We're going to continue to push out new rules uh, into our products. We're going to continue to discover new ways that threat actors are using this vulnerability. Uh, so over the coming months uh, into next year, we'll continue to be updating uh, our blog, but updating our protections as well. And there are there's things that we've learned. Like this isn't the first time we've had kind of emerging thing like this. So we think back to Hafnium, for example, which was a similar kind of uh, uh, pace in terms of rolling out of those exchange server vulnerabilities. And what 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 I would remind defenders, like I think it's recent enough that that most of them are still have like traumatic memories of Hafnium. But remember that it's not just at this point about patching. It's not just at this point about securing or mitigating. It's also presumption of breach because there were actors in possession of this before that that patching came out. Um, and you are in a period now where you have variable levels of patching coverage over your products as you move forward. So you need to be looking at, at, at open source pieces of intelligence like the Talos blog um, and others, grabbing those IOCs and aggressively looking through your logs and looking in your environment and your DNS queries and everything else just double checking, you know, am I seeing something that tells me that I missed something or that I haven't caught up to something? You're in a point right now where not only are you on one hand um, patching like you would traditionally, but you're also doing kind of a high-end threat analysis, threat hunting exercise, where you're just making sure that you're not breached as you try to get everything under control. And and I, I wish you all the luck because I know it's a very challenging environment. Can you guys share a little bit more of any of the resources, you know, especially from an incidence response perspective that we might have that are available for folks um, to, to reach us in case of an emergency of some sort? Absolutely. Uh, you can always go to the, the Talos website, talosintelligence.com slash IR slash incident response. You'll see our emergency phone numbers there. Uh, I would say for all of our, our customers on retainer, right, we are available to assist them uh, anytime that they think they've experienced a breach, if they need proactive threat hunting, uh, compromise assessments. Uh, I would also go back, uh, regardless of who you're working with, um, brush off your incident response plans, right? That's why we do tabletop exercises. That's why we practice for these events. Um, they happen recurringly. So, uh, Make sure that you have those, even if it's just who do I need to call, right? Make sure we know who um, uh, who is in your directory that you need to reach out to if you notice something uh, amiss in your environment. So we're coming here uh, up on time, but if there were any last words or piece of his, pieces of advice that you wanted to keep our audience with, um, is there anything that you all would want to share? Oh, the first thing that comes to mind is good luck. You will need it. 
<laughs> but we are here to help in any any way that that we can, of course. And we will be keep we will keep updating our blog with all the IOCs, with all our our visibility, and with new detections. I think that's that's pretty much what I would say. Yeah, when I was when I was in paramedic training, they they taught us that there were certain conditions um, that you would only catch if you had a very high index of suspicion. Like you really had to be looking out for things to see these little indicators of specific issues that you would see in the field. And so right now is a time to have a very high index of suspicion. Um, a lot of incidents start out with, with an analyst saying, well, that's weird, or why did that happen? Now is the time to run those things down. Um, certainly, uh, I, I, we don't have to tell you to patch. We don't have to tell you any of that. I know you're doing that. But, but those little things where you have a junior analyst kind of show up and be like, hey, the, the, uh, the server in the DMZ keeps pinging the firewall, those kind of things have, have triggered full-on incident responses in the past. So now is the time to be very diligent, um, not to just rapidly close uh, alerts. Really look in because you are behind, everyone is behind the power curve right now, um, and attackers have the upper hand. I'm going to go uh, make sure you, you eat your lunch and get rest. Make sure you take care of yourself. Um, I know these guys know we've, we've been at it all weekend. We've been at it late last week. Um, but you need, you need to, to take care of yourself as well. And just know that the community is in this right mm -hmm. now. You know, every single vendor, every single partner, uh, we're all deep in this right now. So there's a lot of information out there. Uh, we're trying to keep our uh, customers as up to date as we possibly can with updates to the blog. Uh, when we see something, we'll, we'll include it in there. So keep track of what's coming out um, and get some rest. I did have one actual other thing that, that Amy reminded me of. Um, so Log4j is an open source project. Um, you know, it's not run by any specific corporation. Um, largely a set of volunteers, and they've had a terrible week. Uh, and but that that software that they build is obviously critical to what happens in the world. So a fantastic job to that team, both in terms of building that product, but also in terms of responding to this in a way that gets those patches out and all the information that customers need. Uh, so very well done, and I hope you all get some rest soon. Thank you, Amy and Matt and Vitor for joining us and the entire Talos team and Cisco Secure for your incredible help and input and resources that are always available. And I wanna make sure to reiterate some of those resources. So if anyone is experiencing an emergency or needs incidents response support, um, the Cisco Talos emergency response number is 1-844-831 7715. Um, and then the EU number is 448082346353. Um, we also have our blog. Um, the link is HTTPS. Obviously, we want to make sure things are secure. So remember, guys, all the time, secure websites. Um, Blog.talosintelligence.com slash 2021 slash 12 slash Apache dash log 4J dash RCE dash vulnerability dash HTML. And we will definitely have these links in the chat and available to you all. Um, we'll be uh, 
sending information via our social media. And like everybody said today, um, please take care of yourselves. This is the time to definitely keep your um, alerts on high, but your community close, right? Cisco has an incredible community. I know folks are tapped into a myriad of different places, but we are all available at any time that you need and we're here to support you. Um, thank you again for everybody that's joined us. Um, like I said, the team's been working around the clock. So be compassionate, be gentle, be helpful to one another and reach out to us if you need anything. Once again, my name is Tazine Khan and this was a live stream between Cisco Secure and Talos.